Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Well, I am continuing in our series on the way, and, and I'm just going to recap a little bit because we had, we had Mother's Day last week, uh, but we're going over Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And just to recap, three weeks ago, Cliff spoke about anger and the Lord. You know, the Lord has a different heart about things than we, than we think about. And so we saw that, you know, if you say, even you fool, that to the Lord, that's a serious thing. And then two weeks ago, Jonathan, he, he titled his message, Guard Your Hearts. And he spoke about, you know, guard them from lustful thinking, because to the Lord, that's a serious thing. And then today, uh, we're looking at divorce. And so I want to acknowledge just up front that divorce is a very sensitive topic. It's, I mean, very painful emotionally. Um, and so I want to approach this through the lens of the gospel where Jesus meets us in divorce. And then after we look at what Jesus says on divorce, then we're going to look at how we can strengthen our marriages. What are the things we can do to avoid divorce and stay true to the word of the Lord? So with that, let's get God out in front and let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here in our midst and that your spirit is moving powerfully this morning. I thank you that some people need a breakthrough and God, I I pray that by the words that you would speak through me, you would give them wisdom and advice, and they would see that breakthrough, Lord. Uh, I, I pray for the restoration of marriages that are on the rocks, that your spirit would come in, you would soften hearts, and you would move in our midst this morning. You would change the trajectory that people are on. And Lord, I thank you above all for your tremendous grace. I thank you that you love us and you sent your son to die for us. And that with that, you would give us all good things, including strong and healthy marriages. So Lord, bless us this morning. Please guide me in my words. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's open our Bibles, if you got them, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be at verse 31. All right. So Jesus continues his discourse, and he says... It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So right away, a few observations. This is, this is markedly different than how our society and our culture views divorce. We kind of view it, uh, uh, well, not here in the Christian community, but as a whole, America is like, well, if things aren't working out, you file for divorce and you find somebody else and you just try again. But Jesus, he sees it differently. And he's saying in the sight of God that people should not divorce unless there's sexual immorality. So there is grounds for divorce. And the sexual immorality, that is actually laid out if you go back to Leviticus chapter 20. And it's, it's, adultery, but it's also other things. If a man were to lay with a man or a woman with a woman or someone with an animal, there's all these laws and those were sexual immorality. And so that's what Jesus is referencing there. 
And so some of us who are here today, I would imagine, you know, and I know some of you from talking to you, you, you have been divorced. And so as we approach this passage, you, you might hear Jesus' words and, and you might feel condemned. You might feel like, well, gosh, maybe I should have done something different. Uh, but Jesus just said I committed adultery. And so, you know, what do we do with that? And, and what I want to point out is when Jesus actually did have a woman brought to him who was caught in adultery in his response. Because we serve the God of all grace who is for marriages. We serve the God who is for people, for divorcees, for us in marriage. The God of all grace, that's who we serve. And so in John chapter 8, a woman was brought to Jesus who had been caught in adultery. And, and what happened was the Pharisees were saying, what are you going to do, Jesus? Because they knew in the Old Testament she was supposed to be killed to death by stoning. And so they also knew that Jesus had a different ministry of grace. So they bring her before him, and Jesus says, he says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And slowly, if you read the story, all the men from the oldest down to the youngest, they drop their stones and they walk away. And when Jesus is left with the woman, he says, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And that's the message for us today. If you've, if you've had a divorce and the Holy Spirit's convicting you or you think, well, maybe I did it wrong, maybe, maybe I am in a, you know, maybe I committed adultery, then you just know that you just take it to Jesus and he will forgive us. Like we serve the God of grace. We serve the God who, who has wiped sin away far as the east is from the west. So in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13, this is what the Lord tells us. This is how he views us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who revere him. As far as the east I suppose it's probably, well, anyway, it's that way. Cliff's telling me it's that way. I, as far as the east is from the west, all right? So far does God remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who revere him. And that's the God we serve. And so if, if you look at the Greek as well, back in Matthew 5, 31, it says, committed adultery, and the tense of the Greek is that it's a completed action that's done in the past. Now, Jesus could have said, well, you're continuously committing adultery if you remarried somebody, but he doesn't, and this is really important because there's two different prescriptions for ongoing continual sin, then we have to repent. We have to confess our sin always, but then we have to make a plan with God. Okay, I'm turning around. I'm not going to walk in this, in this sinful pattern of life. But Jesus isn't saying that's what's happening here. He's saying there was one completed action of adultery, and so that's sin. And what do we do? We confess our sin, and God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the other thing is, because some people will, will hear a sermon like I'm giving, and they'll walk away, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like I'm in this terrible thing. I better divorce my new husband or my new spouse, my new wife. No, Jesus is saying... 
don't get divorced. So wherever you are, wherever you, you're coming to this message and this passage this morning, if you're married or remarried, God wants that marriage to last. He wants that marriage to be strong and healthy, and he wants you to stay in it. So, so we can just approach us knowing that God is for us, and that just like the sins in the past, like the anger that Cliff spoke about, like, I've been angry, and the Lord says, man, if you, if you call somebody a fool, well, hello, I grew up with two older brothers. I call them a lot worse than a fool, okay? <laughs> yeah. And the Lord said, hey, you're liable to go to hell. Like, that's pretty serious. And then Jonathan was preaching on, on lust. You have a, a thought in your mind, well, hey, also, I was a teenage boy, not a Christian. I had some lustful thoughts. So, yes, like, that was adultery. So, what do you do? You'd confess it. God is faithful and just, and then we move on with our lives. And you don't have to live in fear or guilt or shame and beat yourself up like it's done. As far as the east is from the west, I love that scripture. As far as the heavens are above the earth, right? We have the Hubble telescope taking pictures of things that are billions of light years away. That's a pretty far universe God made. Like, that's a lot of forgiveness, right? Love it. So, I think that that's really really God's heart for us, is that we all make mistakes, but we don't need to be living captured there um, in the past. But God wants us to be in the present, moving forward with him, growing in righteousness. So there was another passage where Jesus spoke about this same topic, and that's Matthew 19. Uh, and so I, wanna, I want us to look there at the same topic, because we get to see a little more of God's heart. Like, what is God's heart... Um, for marriage and for divorce. And so Matthew 19, starting in verse 3, the Pharisees came up and they were testing Jesus. And so they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And just a little bit of cultural background, they're referencing Deuteronomy chapter 24 and they got to this point, the Pharisees, where they were just giving out divorce writs uh, for any little thing, mu much like our society now, actually. Uh, and so, so that's, that wasn't how it started back in Deuteronomy when Moses gave the law. Because uh, in Deuteronomy, it says that should a man find some indecency in his wife, and the word indecency meant sexual immorality, then he could offer her a certificate of divorce. Okay? Now, by the time I got to Jesus, right, Pharisees were like, well, the word just says indecency, so it could be anything. Precious, you preached a few weeks ago, it could be spinning in the street. And they could be like, wow, that's, that's bugging me, so here you go, you get a divorce decree. It could be that the man just found somebody that was more attractive, and so then he could give a divorce decree. And it wasn't without um, cost to the man, because according to Jewish custom, he would have to pay 200 shekels of silver, which was a year and four months of wages. And it, you know, so there was a biblical equivalent to our alimony. Um, and, and so the only way he could get out of that is if he proved the woman had broken her marriage covenant. And so that's what we're about to learn a little bit about the marriage covenant and God's heart for marriage. Because Jesus responds to them, right? Remember, they just said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So they are no longer, they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so this really gets to the heart of, of God and marriage. Like he has brought two together and he commands don't separate. But, you know, why does he do that? Right? Why do we have this? See, anything you ask why, then you have to answer it. Uh, so it's because God values marriage as a covenant. And if you look at God in Israel, he says, I'm in a marriage covenant with the nation Israel. And then if you look at Jesus and how Jesus came and offered his death and sacrifice on the cross for us to buy us, to pay the price for our sin, if you look at that and the coming of, of the bride of Christ, the church going to heaven, that is also a marriage relationship. And in the, in the Old Testament time, we'll see there's covenants. And, and you get this word covenant. Well, what does covenant mean? You know, that's, that's not really a thing that we talk about a lot. But covenant started like back in Abraham's time. And what they would do is like tribes would come together and they would make these military alliances. Like, I won't mess with you. We'll protect each other from our enemies. And then to seal the deal, they would cut their arms and they would share their blood. And we're like, well, that's kind of gross, right? That's not how God does covenant, okay? So don't go out and do that. But that's how they used to do it. And you might remember the covenant with Abraham where they, they slaughtered some sheep and then by the time it was Abraham's day, you would walk through with the person you were making the covenant with. And that was signaling, like, we will both fulfill our end of, of this promise, this covenant. But what was interesting there was God put Abraham to sleep. So he walked through and said, I will fulfill it on my own. And then after walking through, they would cook the animals and eat it together. And that was the signal that they would all receive the same amount of blessing. So the marriage covenant is similar. Covenants were lifelong commitments, just like our marriages are now. But there's much more of an emphasis on, on, on this permanence that people would do anything. They would do anything to protect the other person, to provide for them, and to fulfill the contract of that covenant. And so... The Lord comes, right? And what does God say about Israel and, and about the church? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. And, and that's how God is to Israel. That's how Jesus is to the church. That's how husbands are to be to wives and wives to husbands. And so that's the heart of God for marriage. And just like God would never abandon or forsake or disrupt the marriage, uh, well, his marriage, that's how he wants us to be. So that's the heart of God. Like our marriages are literally pattern after God's love for us. And, the, and our marriages are literally proclaiming, you know, that that's what God does, and that's, that's his care and, and his gospel message. So, so Jesus, he reiterates that, and they ask him, you know, why? The Pharisees have asked him, you know, well, why then? This is Matthew 19, verse 7. The Pharisees say to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So again, we see that Jesus' heart was based on that the two would become one flesh and they wouldn't be separated. And that this covenant would be taken seriously. 
And so I think the first thing we can do to strengthen our marriages is, is we look at, at the covenant of marriage and we look at the option of divorce and we just, we just slam the door on, on divorce. We just make it up, the decision in our hearts, in our minds, and we say to the Lord and we say to ourselves, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to treat my marriage like God treats his marriage to Israel and to us, and I'm not, I'm not going to entertain the option of divorce. And so when we do that, then, then things shift and change, right? All of a sudden, we're all in to making our relationships work. All of a sudden, a whole host of possibilities we wouldn't have entertained before, or we would have entertained, they fade away, and, and then our driving desire becomes to do anything we possibly can to make our marriages succeed. So that's what I, I, would, I would say. First, in your heart of hearts, your innermost self, just say, you know what, Lord? Divorce isn't an option. I'm going to make this work. No matter how bad it gets, I'm going to put in the effort to strengthen this marriage, to turn it around, to change how we operate together and the dynamics of the marriage so that it's healthy and fulfilling. And so that, like, the ultimate goal of the Lord is that other people would look in and be like, why are those couples so happy? right? Like, we can have marriages like that. Like, I do have it. My wife's awesome, right? She can come hang out with us. It's great. <laughs> but, but that's what the Lord wants for us. And so, so that's, that's the heart of Jesus behind marriage. Um, now, I kind of wrestled a little bit with the Lord preparing for this. You guys ever wrestled with the Lord about Scripture? It's not very productive. He lets you know who's in charge. Uh, but it's like, really, Lord, only one thing, only, only sexual immorality? Because like, I know people who are struggling in marriages, and there's a lot of hard things that happen. And there's a lot of reasons where oh, if it was up to me, I'd be like, well, maybe you guys sh- you know, should divorce because that seems pretty bad. But God was like, no. No, like, it's my desire that you would stay together and work it out. But I do want to um, make a, a, a caveat here, and that's just that there are relationships that are abusive, um, and this is a much different dynamic than just having an argument or a really bad fight with your spouse. Uh, but, but in an abusive relationship, there's a, a power and control dynamic. Um, it's awful. And somebody is just really being taken advantage of and victimized. And so in a case like that, I just, for anybody listening online or anybody here, like, please reach out to Pastor Jonathan, to Precious, to myself, my wife Sarah, Cliff and Bree, there are leaders in the church. Um, we want to make sure you're safe. And there are times in the Bible where if you read in 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about maybe you do need a little separation, uh, but always the goal is to come back and have the healthy marriage. Um, so I'm mostly talking today about not, not the abusive marriage but, or, or abusive relationships. So I just needed to make sure that was stated. Uh, but... Getting back now to, to the word, I think I've covered what Jesus said. So now let's look at what can we do to strengthen our marriages? What can we do to avoid the trap and the slow path towards divorce? And there's really two main broad categories. There's two things that will keep us on the right path. The first, we've got to learn to express love to our spouses, right? And the second, we have to learn how to handle conflict because there will be conflict. There will be disagreements, aren't there, right? Yeah. Uh, and they can be all sorts of different things. So there, there, is, uh, there are some 
There's some predictors, actually, of things that lead to healthy marriages and things that lead towards divorce. And there's a man, he's, his name is John Gottman. I actually really like his uh, research. He's been studying divorce for 35 years and what leads to it. Uh, he's a practicing Jewish man out of the University of Washington. And um, he says that you have to learn to express appreciation. And then there's, there's four horsemen of the apocalypse to relationships. And, and these are things that it's easy to do when we're in a conflict with somebody. You know, our heart starts beating, our faces turn red, we get a little angry and we say things. And Dr. Gottman says, well, actually, these things really do have a tendency to lead towards divorce and we should avoid them. So, so this is some wisdom distilled that we can take and we can implement in our marriages to strengthen them. So the first horseman of the apocalypse is criticism. And so I don't know if anybody's ever criticized their spouse, but uh, I, I probably have. I'm sorry, honey. Uh, so it looks like, uh, but at, at its... At its most worst form, I guess, criticism is the statements like, you always do this. You never do, right? Like, you never take out the trash when the garbage truck comes, and now it smells out there. Ah, right? Like those statements, right? Oh, you always do this thing that's terrible, whatever. You never put down the toilet seat. I mean, we got these things. But those statements, the always and the nevers and the criticisms, those really make it hard for your spouse to come alongside you and, and join in, in the process of resolving the problem, right? So a better way is to use the I statements. I felt really irritated when you didn't take the garbage can. I don't know, you might have said that to me a time or two, right? So uh, these things happen, right? Conflict's part of life. Uh, but the I statements, they open the door for your spouse to, to join you in conversation and to make a plan to address the issue. So that's the first thing, right? Proverbs 15.1 tells us, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so that's the principle behind this, right? A harsh word, man, you always suck at doing this thing, but a gentle word, it would really help me if you did this. It made me feel bad because of this reason. So that's criticism. Now, now the second horseman of the apocalypse for relationships is um, contempt. And contempt is when we purposely say hurtful things to one another. And with contempt, there's, there's a certain element of, of a moral difference, like I'm better than you, right? Like, ah, oh, you come home from work and, and you just go on the couch and veg out and, and you don't do anything with the kids, you're a terrible father. It's that last part, right? That's contempt. And when we say those things and we're tearing our partner down, that's going to lead to divorce a lot faster. So, so we want to avoid those contemptuous statements, right? So in, um, in Matthew 5, 22, right, this gets back to what Cliff spoke on a few weeks ago. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, like, it's not just that, that there's, that to God's heart this is serious, it's that it's really destructive to our relationships with people when we're contemptuous, when we say hurtful things. So the flip side is in Ephesians 5.29, the word says, let, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such a word as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And 
And the thing is, like, most of, of these four horsemen of the apocalypse, like, these things happen when we're in conflict. Like, like, when our spouse brings up, like, hey, like, I really needed you to do this thing or, or, or whatever your argument looks like. Uh, and it starts with criticism, and criticism usually leads to then contemptuous thoughts. But the key to not being contemptuous is to remember the goodness of our spouses, Right? There's things we got married for that we really enjoyed and liked about the other person. And so that's, those are the things that we have to remind ourselves of. And when we do that, we remember, hey, this is a child of God. This is somebody else who Jesus died for. This is somebody who the Lord loves. I should treat them that way as well, even though I am, you know, maybe really irritated in the moment. So if criticism and contempt, you know, are left kind of to go and carry through their course, it of course leads to feeling defensive, right? I don't know if anybody's ever felt defensive like me, where you're in a conflict and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like I really don't like that someone's coming at me, right? And when Sarah and I got together, this is funny because she's an extrovert and, and I was super introverted when we got together. So she could just bring up anything and I was like, oh my God, the world's ending, you know? And it just felt like so overwhelming. And she's just trying to like, like, figure stuff out. We're a new couple. We just got together. It's like, so I would be overwhelmed, and, and I would start to get defensive. And my defensive strategy, see, this is what I grew up with. My parents, my parents would fight, and they would yell, and I would hunker down and go to my room and just go, you know, below the radar, right? That was my strategy. So all of a sudden, she's up in my business, and I can't go below the radar. So so then it's like, man, I'm really defensive. Like, I don't like this. Like, okay, I'm going to do a boing flip, right? Which I'll bounce it back to you. Like, haha, you're mad at me. Well, guess what? Like, it's really your fault. And it's like, no, not really. But we do that. So that's, that's defensiveness, right? Like, hey, why didn't you go and get the groceries like you said you would? And then the man would say, well, I worked really hard and I'm super tired at the end of the day. Like, here comes the boing flip, like, you know I would be tired, why would you even ask me to do it, right? So things like that, that dynamic, uh, it just causes fights to escalate. So what do we do to not be defensive? I mean, it's really hard because your heart's beating and you don't feel good when someone's coming at you, but what we have to do is simple. We have to take accountability for our actions. We have to own the things we've done wrong. It's that simple, right? And as soon as you do that, you're like, oh, yeah, I did really blow it. But then you have to follow it up with actual plan and concrete action to live differently in the future. So Proverbs 28 verse 13 tells us, one who conceals his wrongdoings will not prosper, but one who confesses and abandons them will find compassion. And I have found this personally true in my marriage, uh, in the workplace, uh, even when I blow it with, with my kids. You know, if I take ownership of the things I've done wrong and, and I confess them, and then I make a plan, you know, to abandon that, to change my behavior, it repairs the relationship, and we can move forward stronger than we did before. So, the last thing of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is called stonewalling, okay? Stonewalling. Now, men are... 90% more likely to do this. I did this when we got married. I didn't even know it was a thing. I was doing it. And my wife, she didn't feel loved or valued because of it, okay? Stonewalling, like the name. She'd be talking to me, and I'd be like, a stone wall. Wouldn't say anything. 
wouldn't do anything. Now, there's two reasons why people do this. I did it because of the reason most guys do it. We start to feel overwhelmed, right? Some of Dr. Gottman's research shows at 110 beats per minute, the man's brain literally begins to shut down, like the thinking ability. And myself being introverted, that was really true. And I would be terrified in the moment if I said anything, it was going to make the situation worse. So I just wouldn't say anything at all, right? But some wisdom, some wisdom from another pastor, Chip Ingram out of California, is that communication is the highway that love travels on, okay? Communication is the highway love travels on. So when I wasn't communicating to her, that was communication. Being silent, that is a form of communication. It was rejection to her. So, so when I saw this thing, I realized, man, that's what I'm doing to her. That's terrible. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so... In my fear that I would make the situation worse and clam up and not say anything, then I made it even extra worse, right? Uh, and so what I learned was I just needed to, this only happened once, too. I just needed to tell her, I'm worried if I say the wrong thing, it'll make, this, it'll make this conversation, this conflict, this whatever we're having, it'll make it worse. And then she was like, what? Are you crazy? Like, we're just talking. And I was like, but I was into her. I was like a big deal in my mind. And then from there, it's like, you, you know, you realize, like, we are, as couples, in marriage, we are a team. And we come together and we address things together. And any kind of conflict we have, all it signals is that there's something really important to the other person. Right? Like, there's something that matters so much to their heart, they're willing to bring it up and address it with us. And it's an opportunity for us to grow closer. So the other thing about stonewalling is that it also looks like um, this is classic. The man might go out to the garage and start banging around and tinkering around. Like the conversation just kind of ends. There's no conversation. Um, now, most men, again, they do it because they're feeling overwhelmed and they're shutting down. Some people do this, though, as a power play. They're going to win the fight by not communicating, and that's very destructive because um, communication is the highway love travels on. So, so I'd encourage you, if, if you find yourself uh, as a person, especially men, because we're more guilty of this, you know, not engaging in a conversation that's important to your spouse, um, to say, am I stonewalling? Am I doing this thing that Brian was sharing about? And the key to getting, getting around this is that like, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Like We've got neurochemicals firing. We've got adrenaline coursing through our veins. You just need a break. We just have to give each other the agreement. Hey, I just need 30 minutes for my body to calm down and then come back and talk about the issue. That's all it is. It's just 30 minutes. There's been a lot of research out of Harvard about it. It's very interesting. But you take that 30 minutes, you calm down. You have to be in separate rooms. You can't see your spouse. If you do decide, oh, it's, been, oh, it's been 18 minutes and go back, it's really likely that the, the fight, the conflict, the whatever will just erupt again. So we have to allow ourselves, we have to allow our bodies to calm down and those chemicals to run their course. So those are the Dr. Gottman four, <laughs> four horsemen of the relational apocalypse. I found them to be actually very true and very helpful in, in changing the way that I communicate and interact with my wife. 
um, so that we can have healthy conversation. Because when conflict isn't addressed, then resentment builds and that does lead towards the path to divorce. So we have to learn. We have to learn to be wise in our marriages. We have to learn to come together and overcome these things. Uh, because again, in Matthew 19, you know, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, they said, well, why, why did Moses allow divorce? Jesus' answer was, well, it was because of hard-heartedness, right? And so we don't want to be people of hard-heartedness. We want to be people with soft hearts, full of love and compassion for each other. So with that, I want to, I'm gonna, we're going to close here shortly. The last thing we're talking about is expressing love and appreciation. And I think maybe, Jonathan, maybe you remember, but I swear every time I get up here, I'm like, you guys should all read the five love languages. That book is great, right? Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and we each experience love in a different way, right? And so God calls us in Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see she respects her husband. And, and prior to that, we're, we're told to love one another. But that's like so vague, right? Just, I just love each other, right? So what I love about the, the five, the book of the five love languages is there, there's different ways that we each feel loved and appreciated. And if, if we can learn how our spouse feels that, then we can express care and love to them in a way that will be really truly meaningful so really quick if the worship team wants to come up i'm about to wrap it up but really quick the five um, love languages are words of affirmation just building someone up to your words that's like my chief one that's why it's first uh, the second one is uh, physical touch some people just feel really cared for by getting a hug I mean, by having somebody hold their hands or, or give them a back rub uh, then quality time, just spending quality time together. For some people, that means the world, that you would spend an hour or two just undivided attention with them. Uh, next is the giving of gifts. Some people feel truly cared for by receiving gifts. It doesn't have to be something you bought at a store. It could be a card you made, something thoughtful. But that communicates, hey, like you matter. And the last are acts of service. Some people, it's like taking out the garbage, you know, doing the dishes, uh, running an errand that your spouse doesn't want to do. That communicates, hey, I'm really thinking about you. I really love you. And so as we, as we embrace these things, as we learn how to love our spouse, um, and we put in the effort, it really changes the dynamic of our marriage. Uh, I know when, when Sarah and I got together, and I shared this before, I would ask her, um, you know, are all your emotional needs being met? And she was like, who is this alien man that would say that, right? And then, and then I would follow it up. And she might be like, no, you know, my love tank's feeling kind of low. And then, be, okay, well, would you like a back rub? She's like, yeah, that'd be really nice. And then I would do that. And I still try to do that. Do I do okay? Try to do okay. Yeah, she said, she nods her head. I put her on the spot, though, so anyway. But, right, so, so there's these things that, that we can do, and it takes intentionality. Uh, so, so the last thing I will say is we just have to, we have to make time, right? In God's economy, it's God first, then it's your spouse, then it's your children, and everything else comes after that. So I would just encourage everybody, like Sarah and I, we, every morning, we spend 30 minutes together and we just have coffee. And we just talk about all the things that are important to us, except Sunday, then we do it after sermon. So, but uh, I would encourage just... Like marriage, 
it is a good thing, right? In Proverbs, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I, you know, for that man who wrote that, that was true. But, and God wants that to be true for all of us. But we have to be willing to, to repent, to soften the hardness of our hearts, to pursue our spouses, and, um, and to be wise. To be wise with the things that lead to divorce and to avoid them and put things in place um, to not go down that road. So a final benediction uh, that I want to leave you is 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy and compassion, and a familial love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so that's my hope for our marriages. Um, it's my hope that, that we would all head down that path. If your marriage is struggling this morning, please, please reach out to someone. Again, Pastor Jonathan Precious, uh, Cliff, Bree, my wife, me, um, Wayne Weber. I'm not sure if he's here today, but there's people in the church who can help you. So uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your great love. I thank you that, um, that even though we may blow it in our marriages, uh, that, that you are there to pick up the pieces. I thank you that no matter how far down a path towards divorce, you are always there ready to strengthen us and to turn things around if we would just humble our hearts and listen. Uh, and so, Lord, Lord, be with our church and soften hard hearts. And I pray that your spirit would above all Guide us into loving one another, Lord. And I want to pray again for, for any who, who don't know you. I just thank you that you died on the cross to pay for all of our sins, to pay for anger and adultery and anything else, Lord. Like all of our sins, as far as the east from the west, you've wiped them away, you remember them no more when we confess them to you. And so if there's anybody here that, or listening online and God is calling you in this moment, and God is saying, come and be my child. Come and enter the family of God. That you would just pray this prayer. Like, Father, I acknowledge I've blown it. I acknowledge that I need your forgiveness. And I confess that I am a sinner. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I thank you that everything I've done is, is forgiven. And I ask that you would just place your spirit in me to guide me. That I could live a different life that my ways could be changed and I could live for you. And if you pray that prayer, you are a new creation. And please come and talk to somebody. Uh, and so, Lord, for the rest of us, bless our marriages, make them strong, and use this church to support every single marriage here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.